0: This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, well, welcome again. Let's uh, bow our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to be at this conference, and I pray for all of us that are here. I pray for your Spirit to to bless us in this session as we uh, seek to uh, know how to win souls for Christ. We pray that you would just uh, enlighten our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Before we get to the heart of today's uh, presentation, it's a very specific uh, seminar on campus ministry. And even if you aren't specifically involved with campus ministry, uh, welcome. (laughs) I think earlier I had people sh- sh- uh, raise their hands and there were only a few. And we started our first session by saying, um, the quoting from Dr. Charles Malik. He is the former uh, Secretary General of the UN General Assembly. And he said, change the university and you change the world. Uh, so there's a lot of potential at these universities. And before we get into the heart of today's um, presentation, I wanted to give a couple of resources. I mentioned this in passing in our first presentation. We talked about fast missions. And if you go to fast.st, www.fast.st, there's some great resources there. And um, a gentleman by the name of Dan Viss has really, um, how should I say, refined uh, the concept of small groups and implemented it. Oh, we're not even on. I'm like going through these slides like something's on there. Do you see that slide? It's not even there. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) We were on a minute ago, just a minute here, oh, there we go. Sorry about that. Okay. (laughs) All right, so here's a couple resources that you can use. If you go to www.fast.st, there's some great resources there. And if you want to run run a small group on a university campus, this is like the resource to use. And it bases it on Bible memory. But look over his material. And there's another website, rightlytrained.org, that is a great website for uh, how to do campus ministry. And a gentleman by the name of Johnny Wong uh, actually uh, is doing uh, some incredible stuff down in Australia with with small groups and campus ministries. And he's got some great resources uh, there as well. All right, so let's move on. Uh, just a little bit of a review. We said uh, this is the philosophy that we want to follow in campus ministry. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. And we shared a few stories of where this principle worked. Uh, this is, we told you about the story of Christian Bull. Three years ago, we knocked on his door in the uh, southern side of Lansing. And uh, he took Bible studies. Uh, we baptized his mom, his brother, his aunt. We're working with his dad right now. And uh, he just graduated from Southern Adventist University. And uh, he's, he's going to be a pastor. So that just shows you the potential that we have with Campus Ministries. We told you about Anthony. Anthony Burrell, he's the gentleman um, to your right, um, second from the right, the guy with the red shirt there. He's son of a Baptist pastor uh, in the jazz program. Had a $40,000 annual scholarship and uh, started taking Bible studies. Uh, one of our students gave him a study on Daniel 2 and then continued further studies. He was baptized. He walked away from his $40,000 scholarship, and now he's at Southern studying to be a pastor as well. So you see the, the, the uh, impact that you can make through campus ministries. The challenge with campus ministries is that you invest in these people, and then they leave, you know, which is, which is wonderful, but at the same time, campus ministries, I say, is always three years away from dying because if you're not duplicating yourself, um, it will it'll fade because these people are graduating and moving on all the time. We talked about Lu Yang, and she was at a bus stop last year, not, not 2000, no, it's not, yeah, 2013, August, and uh, she um, came to this country as an exchange student from China. She um, Someone had given her a catechism and she was at a bus stop and one of our students approached her and um, saw the catechism and uh, she started taking Bible studies. And she was baptized in February of last year. So she went from the bus stop to baptism in seven months and came to this country as an atheist, left uh, an Adventist. So just a miracle of God. We talked about um, Michelle Odima and uh, how she... Witnessed to Renee, her roommate, Renee was baptized. Renee witnessed to Taryn. Uh, Taryn was baptized and now she's a Bible worker in our church right now. And then Taryn gave Bible studies to Elva and we just baptized Elva in February of this year. And we met Elva at a booth at the Michigan State uh, Union there. And uh, right now Elva is giving Bible studies to other people. So these, this is just the, the cycle of evangelism that's taking place at the university church. And we talked about this principle that evangelism is like a funnel. Let me see if I can get my uh, thing here. All right, evangelism is like a funnel. And we said that at the top of the funnel is some of your entry activities like uh, cooking schools or socials or even small groups. This is important friendship evangelism. Um, In order to become an Adventist, you need to go through the bottom of this funnel and the thing that needs to happen, everyone needs to eventually go through Bible studies. That's the only way to become an Adventist. It's either Bible studies or evangelist, an evangelistic series, which is a public Bible study. So that's, that's where it really needs to go through. And your events, which are important at the top, need to eventually lead to Bible studies. If Lou had never taken Bible studies, she wouldn't be an Adventist today. Okay. So, socials are effective in getting them connected to our church members, but at some point they need to get Bible studies. There were a lot of socials taking place at our church. Uh, Lou actually, we said that, uh, I mean, she hung out at our church all week. She would study at our church, she would come and eat with us, Um, went to small groups. All those types of things are important, but eventually she had to take Bible studies and then she had to make a decision. Okay, without that, she would still have not made that decision for baptism. And this is really where the rub comes, because even if people take Bible studies, they need to make a decision. And I think getting the decision is the most challengingly wonderful thing. Um, and it's perhaps the most difficult things to to bring someone to a decision on And um, I'm going to share with you a little bit about the, the path that Lou took um, and illustrated at the end, uh, because it was not easy for her to go from being an atheist to an Adventist. Okay, That was, that was a very difficult transition for her. She had many doubts. Um, just to give you a little bit of an idea, we spent probably 10 hours with her over the course of 10 days um, working through the decision process. Um, Now, we weren't in there putting screws on her, trying to get her to make the decision. Um, We were helping her through the process of it. And it was very difficult, but there is, how should I say, a science to soul winning and getting the decision. And so I hope to be able to illustrate that uh, today uh, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, because um, this isn't something that we uh, need to recognize in soul winning, that We're not out there alone. Amen? Um, All of heaven is trying to win souls. We need to cooperate with heaven in the saving of souls. And it is liberating to recognize that you don't have to go out there and ripen the fruit. Okay? The fruit is ripening. The Holy Spirit is working. You need to pick the fruit that is ripe. All right? In other words, go to the people that are searching for something more, and then you work with that. You partner with the Holy Spirit in the saving of souls. This is from um, 1888 materials. Ellen White says this. There is one talent which you are greatly deficient. The talent of soul winning. Of all sciences, the highest and the most essential is the science of soul winning. It embraces very much. In your position of trust, you need to learn more concerning this science, for you... For you need to exert a molding influence over everyone with whom you have anything to do. But in order to do justice to this work, you must first learn of Christ. So basically, there's a science to soul winning. And there really is a science to, to getting a decision from someone. Okay, And Jesus alludes to this. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. And this is in that private discussion with Jesus, uh, between Jesus and Nicodemus. And of course, that most famous verse in the world is found in John chapter 3, verse 16. So this is just a few verses before. John chapter 3, verse 8, here it is. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but it cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay? Uh, I have it on the screen there as well. So Jesus is making this interesting parallel analogy. He compares the Holy Spirit to the wind. He says, look, you can't see the wind, but you know when it blows. And so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is like the wind. It operates like the wind. And uh, you can't see the wind, but you can know when the wind is blowing. Isn't that right? So to use this analogy in the same way, when you see the tree shake, that's when you know the wind is blowing, okay? So when you see someone, and this is what Jesus did, and this is what we need to do as soul winners, is recognize the Holy Spirit's working all the time, and when you're giving a Bible study to somebody, or you're sharing, or you're witnessing, or you're interacting with an individual, and you notice the tree shake, okay, Metaphorically speaking, but you notice you notice that the tree is shaking that 's when you know to proceed to call for a decision, all right because that is a sign of conviction. all right What is this a sign of? Conviction. so this is what you need to do is you need to watch people, and I believe Jesus was a person that watched the faces of individuals while he was ministering to them. So when you're giving a Bible study, it just can't be this just cerebral, cognitive transmission of information. It needs to be um, a dynamic, interactive involvement where you're watching the faces of the individual. Now, there are many times when I'm giving a Bible study and um, I don't see any conviction. so I don't move, okay? But there was a couple weeks ago, a few months ago, um, we just baptized one individual that was a spouse of a person that we baptized in February. Anyways, I was giving a Bible study to them and to him. And I noticed that when we hit this passage that um, I, I saw out of the corner of my eye, he kind of shifted in his chair. And um, he, his color in his face changed a little bit. And so I was like, I said, I, I think he's, he's under conviction so at that point, I asked a question, okay? And we'll share a little bit more about that. And I asked a diagnostic question, and then it opened it opened a dialogue and um, eventually led toward his baptism. Now, you need to watch for those things because the Holy Spirit is working all the time. And uh, when we recognize that, there's, there's a part that we need to play in cooperating with what the Holy Spirit is doing. All right, so here's... Here's um, some of the application here. Jesus pointed out to him the fact that he could not see the wind, yet he could discern its action. He might not be able to explain the process of conversion, but he would be able to discern its effect. He heard the sound of the wind that bloweth where it listeth, and he could see the result of the action. The operating agency was not revealed to view. No human reasoning of the most learned men can define the operations of the Holy Spirit upon minds human minds and characters, yet they can see the effects upon the life and the action. So we can't see the Holy Spirit just like we can't see the wind, but we can see the effects of the Holy Spirit upon the individual. When when I'm preaching at my local church and I look out and I'm making, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm preaching my sermon, there's certain times I sense that there is conviction. That's when we make the call, okay, for a decision. So here it is, the Bible Evidently says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, tree symbolizes a man, to so use this metaphor of the wind. So when you see the tree shake, you know that the wind is blowing. And our role as a soul winner is to be a people watcher. Watch the countenance, watch the face, and when you sense the conviction, it is time to move. You can see the operating agency. You cannot see the operating agency, but you can see its effects. Okay? So what do we need to do? We need to watch. We need to watch. And this is what Jesus did. Uh, This is from Desire of Ages 255. Jesus watched with deep earnestness the changing countenances of his hearers. The faces that expressed interest and pleasure gave him great satisfaction. As the arrows of truth pierced to the soul, breaking through the barriers of selfishness and working contrition, and finally gratitude, the Savior was made glad. When his eye swept over the throng of listeners, and he recognized among them the faces he had before seen, his countenance lighted up with joy. He saw in in them hopeful subjects for his kingdom. When the truth plainly spoken, touched some cherished idol. He marked the change of the countenance, the cold, forbidding look, which told him the light was unwelcome. When he saw men refuse the message of peace, his heart was pierced to the very depths. So Jesus watched the countenances of individuals to, to see if they were responding to the message that was given him. A few other quotes here. He spoke directly to every mind, appealed to every heart. He watched the faces of his hearers, marched the lightning Lighting up of the countenance, the quick responsive glance, which told that truth had reached the soul, and there vibrated to his heart the answering chord of sympathetic joy. So we know that we're supposed to watch um, for the movings of the Holy Spirit. So when the tree shakes, you know to, to move in upon that situation. So the question is, you know, what, what are we to watch for? Okay? So when you're giving a Bible study, when you're talking with someone, like, how do you know what to look for? What is a sign of conviction? And what do you do when you see that conviction? All right? So we're looking for conviction. Conviction is the voice of God speaking to the conscience. That's what it is. So we already recognize that we're not in this alone. We're partnering with heaven. All of heaven's resources is out to save humanity. Holy Spirit is working. The angel is working. So as you are administering the Word, all right. as you are giving a Bible study to the individual, sharing with the person, the Holy Spirit is there to convict. We do not convict people. Amen? Our job is not to ram things down their throat. And this is very liberating for me. Our job is to sow beside all, all waters. Okay, uh, Throw the seed. That is what we're to do. And as we administer the Word of God, people are convicted. And the Holy Spirit's role is to do that, all right? Christ is the source of every right impulse. He is the only one that can implant in the heart enmity against sin. Every desire for truth and purity, every conviction of our own sinfulness is evidence that his spirit is moving upon our hearts, all right? Now, how many of you have been convicted before? I mean, I'm not talking legally convicted, but, yeah, you know, yes, all of us have been convicted uh, by the Holy Spirit, all right? Uh, let me give you an example of this. Uh, this is the beauty of the gospel. When I came to Christ and accepted him as Savior, he accepted me just the way that I was. Amen? No questions asked. But then he's like, all right, Dave, we've got some things we've got to work on. You know, you come to Jesus just the way that you are, but you don't leave just the way you came, Okay, just like the leper came to Jesus just the way he was. He didn't leave the same way, all right? But there's a transformation that takes place. And so I had a lot of problems, all right, issues, sanctification, work of a lifetime, praise God. Okay, I still, still have a long way to go, okay? But one of the things that I did B.C., before Christ, was I, um, I, I used to steal things, okay? And one of the things that I stole um, I accepted Christ, You know, committed uh, myself to him in, in high school. One of the things I stole in high school prior to my accepting Christ was um, I was really into bicycles, and I stole, um, I stole a girl's bike. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was European. Me and my friend, we saw it at the high school. It was there for a few days, so we thought, why don't we just take it? We backed his van up, we put it in the vehicle, and then took it out to the woods, and we didn't... And we didn't want the frame. We wanted all the components. So we stripped it of all the components, threw it out in the woods to to rust. And then I felt kind of guilty at that point. And then he kept all the components. But I was still an accessory. And, I, and anyways, I'd stolen some... Anyways, my conscience was really seared by that time. And it didn't bother me. And it didn't even bother me when I accepted Christ. But then a few months later, as I was doing my morning devotions, this is how it works. The Holy Spirit came to me. David, you remember that bicycle, and uh, and I said, yeah, but praise God for the gospel. You know, you're forgiven, and you know you tried to rationalize it away. And I said, besides, my friend kept it, and all these types of things. And the thing about conviction is that it's very uncomfortable. Have you experienced that? Okay, it's very, I couldn't go to sleep that night, um, and it seemed that uh, I, I was very uneasy. About, about what had happened. And that's, that's what the conscience does. It's a spiritual type of sensitivity. And it's, it's a good thing, like if you touch something and it's hot and you pull your hand away, that's actually a good thing, okay? It's when you become numb and your hand is cooking in the fire that that, that, that becomes the issue. So that, that sensitivity, that conviction is, is real. So long story short, I, I went back home, I was on home leave I was going to a boarding academy, came back home to my old school, and I met up with my friend. I said, hey, do you remember that bicycle we stole? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, hey, by any chance, do you know whose it was? And he said, I think it was so-and-so. And so so I looked it up in the yearbook, went back to the academy, and this is what happened. I said, "All right, here it goes. I told my parents, by the way, this son's a thief. And um, I said, you know, you're going to have to help me paid this thing back so I, I, I got on the phone I called this number and the mom answered and uh, I said is is Kim there I forgot her name and she said no she's not here but I said well maybe you can help me a little bit I said did your daughter daughter have a bicycle she said yes someone stole it you know it was a gift from her grandmother or whatever and I said well I had something to do with that and Got her address and everything. And, and I want to tell you that when I hung up the phone, it was just like this liberating feeling, you know? And that was a part of the process. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you of sin, okay? He convicts you not only of things that you've done in the past, but things that you need to do in the future to make a spiritual decision. And this is what's happening. Is as you're presenting the Sabbath to the individual, and they're not keeping the Sabbath, guess what? The tension and the conviction is building, Okay, and you're going to see different signs of this. Um, so the Holy Spirit is convicting the individual, and depending on the personality of the person, they're going to respond in a different way. Okay, so here are some uh, indications of of conviction. Okay, and these are the ones that we always want to see. Is this side? All right. So when you see someone. Um, <laughs> And, and you're giving a Bible study, and they're like, praise God. All right, seven days of Sabbath, they're like, praise God, hallelujah. I didn't know that before. That's a positive sign of conviction, okay? I always like those Bible studies. When I gave a Bible study to Christian Bull, the, the first guy who's now a pastor, it was the greatest Bible study because it was all positive. Present the Sabbath. Oh, praise God. It's in the Bible. I believe it. State of the dead. Praise God. I believe it. Spirit of prophecy. Praise God. It was just like all the way through. I mean, he was ready, okay? And then baptism. But not everyone is like that. All right? I wish they were, but they're not. All right? Uh, So these are all the positive ones, sharing, telling others, or telling their friends. Um, They personalize it. Tears, tears of joy. Okay? They can't stay away. You see someone, and they keep coming to every single meeting. They keep coming out to church, sign of conviction. And my associate pastor, his name is Daniel Jean-Francois. He was in that other picture. This guy is a master soul winner. I've never seen someone that can close like Pastor Daniel. And you know what he does? We do an appeal. This is really... We do an appeal at our church every single Sabbath. Okay? It's not always an appeal for baptism, but it's an it's appeal for a spiritual decision. So at the end of every single sermon, and we're on a university campus, so we have non-AVIDists coming to church all the time on any given Sabbath... No less than ten, usually in our church. Okay, because Bible studies are taking place. So we, when, when we give the appeal, all right, Pastor Daniel's in the back and he's got his eyes open, all right, and he's scanning, he's scanning. And as soon as we see that hand come up, okay, to accept Christ or for baptism, what he does is he pulls them out right after the service, takes them by, and, and, and seals that decision. Okay, So these are signs of conviction. You see someone make a spiritual decision, we know that the Holy Spirit's moving. Okay, And you need to strike when the iron's hot. Can't stay away. The lighting up of the face. When you're giving a Bible study, their countenance lights up. Um, Becomes very friendly. They have questions. Studying, positive attitude changes, lifestyle changes. You see someone making dramatic lifestyle changes on their own, you know that the Holy Spirit is working upon their hearts. Restitution. They start making things right. Okay, peace. They they continue to pray about it. So these are all signs of conviction. When you see that someone is moving at a rapid pace, there's one person that we are studying with currently. Uh, she is a law student at Michigan State University. Uh, Carlo um, got her in Bible studies. And Carlo came to me and said, you know, there's something about this this young lady. She wants to study the Bible every day of the week. Okay, she's like, Please, I want to study Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's a sign of conviction. The person is moving at a pace. All right, so this is a positive indication of conviction. And so when you see that, that's when you throttle the accelerator. All right, you you see that, and then you you meet that that need that they're really that they're really feeding. Okay. Um, All right. So here are the negative indicators: sorrow rejection, argument, tears, avoidance. Now, this is one where a lot of people that are beginning Bible studies, this is one that they have a hard time dealing with. You give a Bible study to someone about the Sabbath, and then suddenly, they're not answering their phone, right? not answering their email. You see them walking down the hall. They walk the other way. Okay, this is a sign of conviction, all right? And I'll never forget the story of one gentleman who's giving Bible studies to an individual and um, they were avoiding him, okay, avoidance. So he knew it was a sign of conviction. And he, I mean, he's a hardcore, hardcore, hardcore soul winner. And so what he did was he, he camped out at his house, okay? He just, he just stood stakeout, right? He just stood there. He knocked on his door. He knew he was home, but he wasn't answering. So he just... He just parked his car outside and just waited, all right? And then suddenly he looked at the window and he saw a foot coming out of the window, all right? And the guy was slipping out and was running in the other direction. And so this guy got out of the car and ran after him, okay? So he ran after him. But the problem was his Bible study contact was a smoker, okay? So he couldn't run very fast. So he's running along and then, and then this, uh, the soul winner ran up next to him and then he, the, the Bible study contact kind of played it off. He said, Oh, you're here, huh? You know? He said, Yeah. You know? And so, and so but he was avoiding him. And long story short, uh, he was baptized. But, okay, he was baptized. But, but that is, that's avoidance. And, tip, and a lot of times, what we do is when someone is facing conviction and they start avoiding us, we just say, Oh, we lose them and you let them go, but we need to recognize you need to strike when the iron is hot. There's a window of opportunity that you have, and when, when the conviction is there, all right, and you don't strike, I'm not saying hit them, okay, but if you, don't, if you don't go in for the decision when that window is there, that window closes, all right? I've been in so many situations where the conviction is hot, and because we didn't strike at the right moment, you meet with them the next week, and then the conviction goes away, all right? I've been in some Bible studies where they say, "Oh, I can see the Sabbath." Pastor. Then I meet with them two weeks later, and they're like, "Oh, I don't see the Sabbath anymore." What has happened? The truth is still there, but the window of opportunity has passed. Okay, and that's why this is very important to cooperate and to look for these signs of conviction, avoidance, anger. All right, that is one <laughs> that none of us like to face. All right, but if you give a Bible to someone, Bible study to someone about the Sabbath, and they get hopping mad, like irate and angry, you know that brother is convicted, okay? That, that brother is convicted. And um, it's another story of an individual that um, <laughs> he was giving an evangelistic series, and there was a situation where the person was um, in the congregation, and he was talking about jewelry, Anyways, the person thought they were talking about them, but it was just a topic, and, um, and that person got very, very upset, okay, very, very upset, and typically what we do in those types of situations, we want to distance ourselves from them, but he visited the person, all right, showed up at the door, and, he, and the lady was like, "You," you know, so he's like, oh, I just want to apologize, went in, cleared up the misunderstanding, and, and, and dealt with the issue. And the person was was baptized as well. So so these are, all right, so, so it gives you, now it doesn't always turn out like that. But when the Holy Spirit is working and you see conviction, there are positive indicators and there's negative indicators. Sorrow, rejection, argument, tears, avoidance, anger, resistance, objection, refusal to study, negative attitude changes, rebellion, denial, restlessness, irritability. So these are all things. So remember the illustration, the wind is like the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. So when the wind blows, what happens? The tree shakes. And our role is when we're giving Bible studies and we're administering the word to an individual, and you see the tree shake, that's when we call for a decision. And I think that this is the point where a lot of times I can see that in the process of soul winning, uh, people are comfortable giving Bible studies, but when they come for the close, that's where the challenging part is. Okay, so anger, um, a sign of conviction, and uh, this is one of the things that we typically don't want to uh, deal with, but the light of Christ sweeps away the darkness that covers their sins, and the need of reform is made manifest, while those who yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit begin war with themselves, those who cling to sin war against the truth that it represents. Thus, strife is created, and Christ's followers are accused as troublers of the people. Desire of Ages 306. So this is evidence. Some people respond when they're convicted. They respond with anger, okay? And it depends, depends on the personality. So avoidance, we talked a little bit about that when a negative indicator of, of conviction. So the woman at the well, remember what she did? Okay, you remember the story of the woman at the well? Jesus is talking to the woman, all right? And then uh, he said, what did he say? I'll go call your husband. Oh, that's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? All right? And then, and then she says, oh, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, you're right when you just said you don't have a husband. For, for, for you've had five husbands. And the person that you are with now is not your husband. Oh, that's uncomfortable. Conviction. So what does she do? Oh, is it proper to, to um, worship at Mount Garrison or not? You know, it's just like, oh, let's, let's take it way over here. And okay, now Jesus was merciful, all right, he, he let it go over there, but, but, but uh, this, this was an evidence of, of conviction. Woman at the well. She could deny nothing, but she tried to evade all mention of the subject so unwelcome. So, evasion. All right, what do you do when someone's talking about something that you're a little bit uncomfortable with? You're like, oh, change the subject. That's what's happening here. With deep reverence, she said, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Then, hoping to silence conviction, she turned to points of religious controversy, and that's what you're going to find many times um, giving a Bible study. They, they try to change the subject and move it to another direction. Okay, so here's the principle. Strike while the iron is hot. You see the person under conviction. That is the time to move. Uh, I told you about my associate pastor, Daniel Jean-Francois, and he, t- and he says, look, Dave, he call, I get the phone call and, and I can hear it in his voice. He says, David, we need to go now. Because this is happening, all right? This is happening, we need to go in right now. Um, let me give you uh, an example of this. Strike when the iron is hot. Let me see if I can go back to this picture here of, um, of Lu Yang. Remember I told you the story of Lu Yang, uh, this is her. Um, remember we met her at a bus stop. Atheist came from China, okay. Um, came from China. She was at a bus stop. One of our students gave her a card for Bible study. She started taking Bible studies. Okay, so she's moving along, taking Bible studies. Now she's an atheist from China, no parameters, but she's starting to get convicted, okay, about the existence of God, all these types of things. And then you have Adventism. I mean, it's just like whoosh. so. She's she's under all this conviction, and we met with her for extensively over a period of time, and. There was one Sabbath where we preached the Sabbath message, we're having fellowship dinner, and my associate pastor comes to me, and he says, he says, "We need to meet with Lou right now." So I could tell by the tone in his voice that, I mean, something's going on." So I was like, "All right." So I got up from my meal, went into his office. Lou is in there, and uh, she's sitting there, and I could tell right away, just by looking at her body language conviction written all over her face, okay? She, she's not sure about baptism up to this point, but she's, she's right on the edge, and we've been working with her, but that Sabbath, something happened, Holy Spirit was speaking to her. I could see the conviction. So I looked at her. I looked at Daniel. We shut the door. I sat down, and for the next hour, we started to talk with her. We started to talk with her, and it was one decisive point in our conversation. I saw out of the corner of her eye I saw a tear starting to come down, okay? And it was at that moment um, that I knew it was the decisive moment. And by the grace of God, I turned to Lou and I said, Lou, do you want to, right now, accept Jesus as your Savior? Right now. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, Lou. Lou. Do you want to right now accept Jesus as your Savior? And it was at that point, it was just like a, you know, just a well. She just You could see the tears just coming down her face. And I made the appeal, and she said, yes. She said, yes. And so we, I said, Lou, you just repeat after me. And, and we, we did the sinner's prayer. She accepted Christ. I mean, and, and I want to tell you that um, this is why I'm a, this is why I'm in this, okay? Amen. This is, this is why, uh, this, is, this is the passion that drives, because there's nothing like leading someone to the foot of the cross. And, and when I saw that, I mean, Daniel and I, our, our eyes are, I mean, I just I start to tear up just thinking about it right now, but our eyes are welling up with tears, and, and she said that prayer, okay? And, 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 uh, and she just, and you can see the joy on her face after making that decision, and she was baptized two weeks later. She came to this country, an agnostic atheist from China. And she went back to her country as a seventh-day Adventist Christian. Can you say praise God? Praise God. And it's not, you know, it's just us cooperating with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what it is. The Holy Spirit's convicting her. But I think to myself, oh, what if... We hadn't cooperated with heaven. all right. Someone else may have led her to a decision, but I just, I mean, that's the joy of this work. That's the beauty of it. And uh, we, we have the privilege of doing what angels could do, um, desire to do. Uh, Ellen White tells us in order to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. That's why we do this. That's why God calls us to do this, to share in the joy and develop our characters after Christ. Um, so, Lou, um, what a what an experience! What an experience that was. Um, so strike while, while the iron is hot, um, and if we don't, this is one of the consequences. Evangelism, page two eighty three. Many are convicted of sin and feel their need of a sin pardoning Savior, but they are merely dissatisfied with their pursuits and aims, and if there is not decided application of the truth to their hearts. If words are not spoken at the right moment, calling for decision from the weight of evidence already presented, notice this part here, the conviction, the convicted one passes on without identifying themselves with Christ. The golden opportunity passes. Let me read that again. The golden opportunity, what? It passes. And they have not yielded, and they go farther and farther away from the truth, farther away from Jesus, and never take their stand on the Lord's side. So this is, there's a golden opportunity that you have. When you see the conviction, when you see the person starting to move, that's when you have to move in for the, the question, all right? The question um, to, to lead them to a decision. Um, this past February, uh, last year, uh, I was... I was in, in in my in my office with uh, someone that was that was both the Bible study contact and the Bible study um, the person giving the Bible study. So they came in, um, and and a lot of times what we do as pastors is we have our lay people giving the Bible study, but then we come in as the closers at the end. We we help, and but we want the person that is giving the Bible studies to be there so that they could experience that. So they're there, and so I'm going through the clearing card. And I asked the question, I said, uh, Leslie, have you ever thought about being baptized? Or do you? Would you, you know, what, what are your thoughts about being ba- baptized? And she said, you know what, I thought maybe in the future, you know, six months, seven months from now. And uh, so we went back again. And there's something that I learned from uh, an evangelist that I worked with. Because um, before I worked with this evangelist, what I would do is we would we would come to a head in our discussion. So they would give their objection, I would give the answer. Objection, answer, and then we kind of hit the stalemate at the end and we walk away. But what I learned from this evangelist, and it's actually what Jesus followed as well, is that when they give the objection, what he does uh, is he waits, okay, even changes the subject or goes a little bit on a tangent, and then he comes back in, to meet the objection with scripture, all right? And I was with this evangelist on several occasions, and and in the beginning, I thought to myself, there's no way this person's going to make a decision. And then the person would give the objection, and then he would go off a little bit, and then he would come back in. And at the end, he asked him, look, do you want to get baptized this week or next week? And the person said, next week. And I was just about fell out of my chair, you know? And and so with this individual, uh, Leslie, I was sitting with, I, I remember that. And that's what Jesus did, too. Remember, the Pharisees would give him an objection, and he said, let me tell you a story, right? So then they would relax, okay? So then you tell them the story, the story, and then, and then the punchline comes in, right, at the end of the story. And, that's, and what, what you don't want to deal with in objections is, is pride, because sometimes you get into this argumentative phase. You don't want pride to become a factor, all right? So she gave her thing about later on, so we went off a little bit, and then I came back in with scripture, okay, and then came back in with scripture again, and then I asked her the question, Leslie, is there anything keeping you from being baptized this Sabbath? Because doctrinally, she was all clear, anything keeping you, and she she said, no, there's nothing, and then I said, well, let's you want to do that? And so we moved in and she was baptized um, as a a result. But if you don't strike when the iron is hot, um, the greatest thing that the devil wants to do sometimes is is just to have us procrastinate. All right, moving on. Evangelism, page 228. When persons who are under conviction are not brought to make the decision at the, what is the word up there? At the earliest period possible there is danger that the conviction will gradually wear away. So this is important. When you see someone make a decision for baptism, like in an altar call, it's important to take them away and seal that decision immediately afterwards, okay? Because if you don't, the conviction can die away. It is as much our duty to look at the after interests of a camp meeting as it is to look after the present interests because the next time you go... If they were impressed and convicted and did not yield to the conviction, it is harder to make an impression on their minds than it was before. You cannot reach them again. This is the way the human heart works. Remember Paul says, Today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Notice the operative word, today, right? Right now. When you hear his voice, harden not your heart. The implication is you are never more susceptible to the Holy Spirit than when? Today. Today today because tomorrow you will be in a different place than you are today once you don't respond your heart goes through what is called the hardening process all right i've been in multiple bible studies where i study with someone they don't make a decision i study with them 2 weeks later and they are a different person what has happened the truth hasn't changed but they've changed all right so this is this is an important principle for us to follow our greatest need the holy spirit for the gift of discernment. So this is what we need to pray for. This is the, the Holy Spirit can give us to watch for conviction. The need to perceive. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. So Paul had that spiritual deception, uh, perception as well. You know. It's been a long day. All right, okay. Perception. <laughs> okay, so here here is one um, thing I want to cover right before we close: the deci- decision to accept Christ as Savior. This is foundational, and this should be early in in the Bible study. And um, Zara of Ages actually says this, and I think that sometimes in our doctrinal studies we we sometimes just get so cognitive, and I'm not saying that. We shouldn't be intellectual and lead them to doctrine, but what makes the doctrine relevant and applicable is is to Christ, right? Because you need to lead them to the Savior and accept Christ. The wonderful love of Christ will melt and subdue hearts where mere reiteration of doctrines would accomplish nothing. Desire of Ages 8.26. As you watch, as you give your testimony on your study, um, watch for conviction, Okay, and um, this is what I do. It's a very simple way of of having them make a decision for Christ. There's there's other ways of doing this, but turn with me to Revelation chapter three, verse twenty, and uh, I'll just share this with you. This is what I've done, and I, I want to encourage you to do this. Um, some form of leading them to Christ in your Bible study. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it's familiar to each one of us. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. So I just asked the question, you know, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. What do you have to do? All right. God is calling you to open the door. All right, and then I just go in and say, you know, is your desire? Is there anything keeping you from allowing Jesus into your heart right now? Okay, and and you and you just ask the question whether they want to accept Christ. Okay, um, Pastor Lauren Nelson does it a little bit different. He begins by asking the question, "If you were to die today, would you know that you'd be saved?" Okay, so that's that's a different way of doing it, and then he and then he goes down the line. But the point is, it's important to lead them to. A spiritual decision. And Lu Yang is is evidence of that, um, that reality and that decision. Um, before we wrap up here, I just want to um, do a few housekeeping items. Pastor Israel, who I'm supposed to be team teaching this with, um, his brother passed away. So um, do keep him in your prayers. His older brother, a uh, very young age, passed away. And so he won't be able to do the next three sessions that we have in this seminar. And um, he may or may n- was supposed to come here, or was he even going to try to come here after his brother's funeral, but he didn't come. And so I planned for three sessions, not six. So, um, so we're going to have three sessions. This uh, will shortly wrap up. This is this session here, and then the next three, I looked at the seminar book, and there's plenty of wonderful um, sessions to go to, and I'm just, I'm just very honored that you even chose to come to this one, uh, so I was just like, oh, man, no one's going to come to this one. I mean, it's just so specialized anyways, but um, I, I really, uh, I, I've worked in campus ministries longer than I thought I would, um, and, and it's been an absolute joy. Um, I first started at my first church, and um, it's, just, it's just been remarkable to see lives changed at these university campuses. I really believe that if you change the university, you can change the world. And when would you rather have someone be one to Christ? When they're 20 or when they're 60? Uh, you, th- you think of all that time. Okay, now, don't get me wrong. I, I love to baptize anyone regardless of their age, if they're 50 or 60. But if you can get them much earlier, before they're divorced, before they have stepchildren, before they have all these neural pathways that are in, uh, ingraining a certain lifestyle, they have so much more baggage. But if you can get someone at an early age, uh, like an Anthony, like a Lou, um, I've seen that the turnaround time for them is incredible. They're, I've seen individuals go from baptism to a worker in the matter of months, because their whole worldview is changed. changing. They're, they're so young. And, and uh, I, I've seen individuals like like Anthony go from the son of a Baptist preacher to right now at Southern Adventist University studying to be a pastor in the course of just a few, few months, 13, 14 months. And this is a part of um, our work that is really a a frontier that we're only tapping a tip of the iceberg really of. And the majority of our Adventist students, according to statistics, are going to public university campuses. They're not in our Adventist schools. And so there's a dual ministry there as well to our Adventist students as well as reaching these college campuses. And it's a way of leveraging our impact, because if you can get some of the brightest minds at these universities, um, Michigan State University has the ninth largest international student base in the country. We have 3,000 international students coming to our campus every single year, 1,000 of them are from China. If you can reach them with the gospel, with the Adventist message, these are some of the brightest minds and they go back. I didn't tell you the story of another gentleman and and I'll wrap up with this. His name was Hao Li. He very bright individual. And he was doing his Ph.D. in organic chemistry at Michigan State University, which is just beyond me. Okay, so bright, bright mind from, from China. Brilliant. Okay, he is a rising star, uh, highly acclaimed by the, by, the, um, by the faculty of Michigan State University. Um, we baptized him two years ago. You know, and and you think of the the quantifying impact of what his, what God can do through someone like him, at such a such an early age to impact for His kingdom, and at some point he's going to be going back to China as well. So, in a nutshell, it's it's my prayer that all of us, regardless of whether we're associated with Campus Ministries or a member of your local church, all of us are born into the kingdom of God a missionary. Amen, amen, and. Being a soul winner is not a spiritual gift. It's not, meaning that it's not just some people have it, like the gift of prophecy or, you know, gift of teaching. Being a soul winner is a God given calling for every Christian. Okay, now you may not be able to give, go out and give a sermon. You may not be a public individual, but in your own way, God is calling you to be a soul winner. Amen? And let's cooperate with heaven for the seeking and saving of the lost. Um, I said I'd close with one story, but I'll close with one last story, and then I'll wrap up. Okay. Um, In the Michigan Conference, we have uh, a get-together at Ministerial, and one of the pastors stood up and gave his testimony. He said his wife had a dream. Right before she had her dream, she was praying to God and said, Lord, please show me your heart. I want to see your heart. So she fell asleep, and she woke up in her, not woke up, but in the midst of her dream. She uh, was in the New Jerusalem. It was after the millennium, after the thousand years. New Jerusalem came down. Fortunately, she was inside the city. Okay? Inside the city, New Jerusalem came down. Walls are transparent gold. So they're waiting there, and she's looking out through the walls, and she looks out on the horizon, and there comes a wave. It seems like a shadow approaching the city at a very quick quick pace and she looked out and to see what the shadow was and it wasn't a shadow it was it was people a multitude of people and as the people started to approach the city more closely she could start to make out faces and individuals and there was one face that just gripped her heart it was the face of her son face of her son she said in the dream her son could see her through the wall. And she she said he walked up to the wall and put his hand on the wall and she couldn't hear him because the voice wouldn't travel, but she could read his lips and he was saying, Mom, please let me in. Let me in. And she, as a mother, only... Her mother heart, mother's heart was breaking, and she was going to try to turn to let her son in. When she recognized that she couldn't, and and she says it was, it was at that moment that she recognized she's inside the wall. Her son is outside the wall, and then she heard the voice saying, "It is time." And she woke up from her dream, and it was as if God was speaking to her heart, saying, "Now you know my heart." Now you know my heart. And that reality is is a haunting reality. Because I don't believe that we'll recognise the value of a soul, fully the value of a soul, until we're on the sea of glass in that reality. That is going to be a reality, friends. And right now God wants us to, to have a share in his kingdom. There's only two things that you can take to heaven: your character and people. That's it. Those are the only two. So God wants us to be involved in soul winning so that we can have a share in His kingdom. And there's nothing more. Um, there's nothing more fulfilling, I believe, than having someone in heaven throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. That. You allowed God to use you to play a role in ensuring that they're there. Amen? Amen. So let's live for that moment. Uh, it's my prayer. My, my heart's burden is that we don't get so caught up in the cares of this life. That number one, we don't have time to see how it is with our soul. But number two, um, it would be a travesty if our family is missing. It would be a travesty if our friends are missing. Um, let's, let's not let that happen. Amen? the grace of God. So let's stand together as we pray uh, as a commitment to the Lord Jesus that he would use us, amen, for the saving of souls, whether it's on public universities or uh, whatever context we're in. So let's bow our heads together as we pray. Lord, Father in heaven, here we are on the very threshold of eternity, Jesus is about to come. Today, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are going down into a Christless grave. Their decisions are sealed. And Lord, we pray today that you would use us as your vessels to ensure, first of all, that we are there when you come in the clouds of glory. And also that our family is there. Lord, help. We we pray that you would use us so that not one member of our family is lost. Oh, Father, we we pray that not one of our friends, not one of our, our classmates, not one of anyone that we're associated with is not able to make a decision to be there, doesn't make that decision to be there. We pray that you would use us so that when you come in the clouds of glory, we can hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. We thank you that you've heard us. We, you want to use us. Help us to cooperate with heaven for the seeking and the saving of the lost. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC. A supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.